Again, I want to say I appreciate so much the invitation to come and be with you and to be a part of this meeting. Uh, there are meetings that I schedule that I look especially forward to, and this was one, for obvious reasons, when I have a daughter and son-in-law and grandchildren here, that that makes it a special place to come, and I'm delighted, though, to be with you. I've always appreciated the church here and the stand that it's taken, and I appreciate the Bunnings and the work they do, and I look forward to being with David and Teresa this week and spending some time with them again. appreciate the, the work that they do in the kingdom. At this hour, we're going to talk about the question of, is one faith as good as another? I do want to say a little something about the rest of the lessons. These are all first principles, as the elders have asked me to present. And any one of these would be a good lesson for your friend or neighbor that is a non-Christian that you want to invite to bring. There will be an appropriate study for them. But to this evening, this afternoon, or at 6 o'clock, we're going to talk about Bible authority. These lessons kind of build on top of each other because the Bible is the inspired Word of God, as we have studied. Then the question needs to be raised, does it make any difference what we believe? And then we need to talk about the authority that is behind the Scriptures and how do we establish Bible authority. Tomorrow evening, we're going to talk about the blood of Christ, just an old-fashioned lesson on the blood of Jesus Christ. Tuesday evening, we'll raise a question that perhaps you have or you have been asked, and you wonder, how should I answer that? And how do I go about answering that so as to be effective somehow? And that is, will only those in the church of Christ be saved? And then on Wednesday, we'll talk about the conversion of the 3,000 from Acts chapter 2. And then on Thursday, we'll talk about grace, faith, and works. How do those three things relate together? And then on Friday evening, we'll close with a study from John 3, and that is a study of the new birth. Quite often, talking to your friends and neighbors, you'll hear someone talk about my faith versus your faith. Perhaps a friend will say to you, I I know people of your faith believe different than those of my faith. And what that implies is that there are people of different faiths. That there are different faiths where we believe and practice different things. And all of that is supposed to be acceptable unto God. And so here's what you would have. You would have people of different faiths, if that is the case. You'd have those who are of the Presbyterian faith. Those of the Catholic faith. Those of the Nazarene faith. Those of the Muslim faith. Buddhist faith. Southern Baptist, Orthodox Jew, Christian Church. And that's a sampling of the thousands of different beliefs and quotation faiths that are of the different faiths, as some would describe. And so that being the case, if that's supposed to be acceptable unto God, then here's how that works. Someone comes along and says, you know what, I think I want to join the Catholic faith. And that's supposed to be commendable. Someone says, oh no, I don't want to be a Catholic you see, I want to be a Presbyterian. Someone said, no, I don't want to be either of those. I want to be an Orthodox Jew. And one said, no, 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 no. I think I want to be a Buddhist. And another one said, I want to be Muslim. And another one says, no, I think I want to join the Southern Baptist. And another one said, no, I want to be an Amish. And another one joins the Christian church. And another one joins the Methodist. And another one joins the Nazarene. And we all have joined different faiths. And so our question for this morning is the question of, is one faith, as good as another faith. And how do I answer that question when people that I talk to who are non-Christians and they say, you know, after all, one faith is just as good as another faith. How do I answer that question? Well, I want to suggest to you, first of all, that that's a very common concept. But that most of our religious friends and neighbors believe that one faith is just as good as another faith. You'll hear things like this. You'll hear them talk about one faith, after all, is just as good as another. 
I appreciate you inviting me to your meeting, but you see, I have a church I go to and one faith is just as good as another faith. Or they may say something like, you know, it really doesn't make any difference what you believe in religion. After all, sincerity is all that really matters in religion. God doesn't care what you believe. God doesn't care what church you go to as long as you are sincere. Or you may hear someone encourage, what we need to do is attend or join the church of your choice. Attend the church of your choice. Not necessarily God's choice, but of your choice. Find the church that you like. And all of that says the same thing, and that is that it makes no difference what you believe, and it says that one faith is just as good as another faith. Now here's what that implies. If there are different faiths, all of which are acceptable, what that means is there are different beliefs, there are different doctrines, there are different practices, and there are different churches, all of which God is pleased with. Now, let me explain what I mean by different. I'm talking about contradictory beliefs. Here is one church that believes, or a person that believes, Jesus is not the Son of God, and another one believes Jesus is the Son of God, and that's both acceptable unto God. One says there are no conditions of salvation, and another one says there are conditions of salvation, and both are acceptable unto God. So you have contradictory beliefs, contradictory doctrines, contradictory practices, and contradictory churches, all of which are acceptable unto God. So again, we raise for our study this morning the question, is one faith as good as another faith? And let's see if we can analyze it from a number of standpoints. Let's begin with this. Open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 4. This is going to be a quite simple study. These are first principles after all. And let's start with the fact the Bible says there is one faith. If there is one faith, then one faith is not as good as another faith. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. The Bible speaks of one faith, not of faiths. Plural. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 beginning at verse 4. There is one body. And one spirit, just as you're called, and one hope of your calling, one Lord, here's our expression, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Here's what I just saw. I saw the passage speak of one faith, not of faiths. But let's go that a step further. I want you to consider with me that one faith means only one faith. You say, how do you know? Let's go back to our text now. In Ephesians chapter 4, notice verse 4 says that there is one spirit. Now, does that mean there is only one spirit or does that mean there are many spirits? Which does that mean? Now, you know what that means. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says there's one Lord. Does that mean there's only one Lord or does that mean there are many lords? Verse 6 says there is one God. Does that mean there are many gods or does that mean there is only one God? So likewise, verse 4 says there is one faith. Does that mean there are many faiths or does that mean there is only one faith? Well, if one Lord and one Spirit and one God means only one Lord, one Spirit, one God, then same thing is true concerning faith. There is only one faith. That's what the text is saying, isn't it? But let's notice something else in the context. Let's go back to verse 3, and I want you to notice that the text that says there is one faith is in the context of unity. Back up to verse 3 now. In the context, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In that context, he said there is one Lord, one faith, 
one baptism. Here's what I learned from that. I learned from that that one faith is essential to unity. If we're going to be united in religion, there has to be one faith. Here's something else I learned from that. I learned that many faiths contribute to religious division. So one that says, you know, after all, one faith is just as good as another faith. That's creating religious division. And Jesus prayed for unity in John chapter 17. Here's the second thing. I know there's one faith, so therefore one faith is not just as good as another. But I want you to consider with me that one can be religious and at the same time be wrong. If that be true, then one faith is not as good as another. One can be religious and at the same time be wrong. Let's talk about Cain. Let's turn to Genesis 4 with me, if you will. And let's talk about Cain. Cain offered an offering that was not acceptable unto God. And that illustrates to me that one can be religious and at the same time be wrong. Let's look at Genesis chapter 4 beginning at verse 3. In the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Now, what did I just see from that text in Genesis chapter 4? Well, I saw that here were two brothers and they both brought an offering unto the Lord. Both are attempting to be religious. Cain brought an offering. Abel brought an offering. Their offerings were different. Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground. Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock. Genesis 4 said the Lord respected Abel's offering and the Lord did not respect Cain's offering. What was the difference? Hebrews chapter 11 and in verse 4 says, Abel, by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. That means that Cain's was not by faith. What does that mean? Does that mean Abel said, you know what, I really believe mine's acceptable. And Cain said, I don't think mine is. Now what he thought, what does it mean to do something by faith? Romans 10, 17, you know the passage well. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That means that Abel offered his sacrifice according to the word of God. Cain's was not according to the word of God. Here is a case where one was religious and at the same time they were wrong, not acceptable unto God. One faith is not as good as another. But let's notice another example. Let's take the case of Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, Leviticus 10. You remember the case of Nadab and Abihu? Here's what the text says. They, did a, they offered a sacrifice that did not please God. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord. What do you mean profane fire? The International translates that unauthorized fire. I know that's right. That's what he means by profane fire, and here's how I know. Which the Lord did not command them. They offered a fire that was profane or unauthorized. The Lord didn't command that. What was the consequence? So fire went out from the Lord and it devoured them and they died before the Lord. They were religious. But at the same time, they were wrong. One faith is not as good as another faith. Third, notice the third example. Here's a case of us in his attempt, and I put in quotations to help the ark. From human reasoning, this would seem to be be what, what you ought to do under the circumstance. Let's talk about what that was. Do you remember when they were trying to transport the ark? God had a method and a means for doing that. Of how the, 
the uh, priests were to transport the ark and use the staves, etc. They're not doing that now. And the point is, as they're transporting the ark on an ox cart, you say, well, they weren't supposed to be doing that. But when it begins to topple and it looks like it's going to fall, wouldn't you think from human reasoning that it would be showing some respect to reach out and touch it to keep it from falling? Show a little respect for the ark? Let's see what happened. David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up the ark up from there, the ark of God, who is named called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who dwell between the cherubim. And so they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it into the house of Abinadab, which is on the hill. And Uz and Ohio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. Drop down now to verse 6. And when they came to Nacon's thrashing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark and took hold of it for the oxen stumbled. You'd think from human reasoning that'd be the thing to do. I don't want it to fall. The anger of the Lord aroused against Uzzah and God struck him. Therefore, his error and he died there before the ark of God. Here again is one who is attempting to be religious and at the same time he was wrong. Let's add a fourth example of that from Matthew chapter 7. And that is, the believers in Christ can be wrong. It's possible to be one who is religious and a believer, but at the same time wrong. You are familiar with the Sermon on the Mount. This is what we might call the invitation section, toward the end of the sermon. He begins to extend an invitation for people to respond. Here's what he said. You are familiar with this. Look at verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father which is in heaven. I learned already before reading any further... The one who says, Lord, Lord, I'm religious, I believe in God, I believe in Christ. That's not enough. Now drop down to verse 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? That's religious, isn't it? Cast out demons in your name? That's religious, isn't it? And done many wonders in your name. Then is the Lord going to say, ah, well, that's okay because one's just as good as another? No, I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. They were religious, and at the same time, they were wrong. Let's notice the third principle. We're still answering the question, is one faith as good as another faith? We know there's one faith, and I know that one can be religious and at the same time be wrong. Let's talk about the warnings about false teachers. If there is such a thing as a false teacher... Even mentioned once in the New Testament, then one faith can't be as good as another. Because if one faith is as good as another, there is no such thing as a false teacher. Because whatever he teaches, after all, isn't one faith as good as another faith? So if I can just find a warning against false teachers, I know one faith's not as good as another faith. Let's see what we find. The Bible talks about false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. Remember that, Matthew 7? That, by the way, is in the Sermon on the Mount. And that's again in that invitation section, just before where we read a moment ago at verse 21. And he warned them that there would be people who would lead you astray. You need to come into the kingdom, which is what the sermon was about. And I'm inviting you to come into the kingdom, but here are false prophets that will lead you astray. Be aware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. Earlier, Jesus had warned about the blind who lead the blind, and they both fall into the ditch. Remember that? There is such a thing as a false teacher. Concerning the destruction of Jerusalem in Matthew 24, Jesus warned that many would be deceived by false prophets. Let's go even further. I want you to notice that there would be false prophets today, even as there were false prophets of old. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter, chapter 2, if you will. 
The whole chapter is devoted to the idea of false teachers. But look at verse 1. As there were false prophets among the people, what's he talking about? Well, like in the days of Jeremiah, there were those who were saying, Jeremiah's all wet about this. There is not going to be a captivity. And uh, that's not going to happen. Nebuchadnezzar's not coming. It's not going to fall. Jerusalem's not going to fall. Just as there were false prophets then, even as there, there will be false teachers among you who secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Just as there were false prophets of old, there are false prophets today. John warned, try the spirits whether they are of God because many false prophets are gone out into the world. There is such a thing as false prophets. Here's our conclusion. If there is such a thing as a false prophet, then one faith is not as good as another faith. When you sit down with your friend or neighbor and they're saying, you know what, one faith is just as good as another faith. Ask them about false teachers. Is there anything to this warning about false teachers? Is there anything such as a false teacher today? Well, yeah, there's false teachers. Okay, then if there is such a thing as a false prophet, a false teacher, then one faith cannot be as good as another faith. But let's go even further. Number four, let's consider that truth is in contrast to error. Just as it is true concerning false teachers, the Bible talks about truth, and then it puts in contrast, it talks about error. And if that be true, then one faith cannot be as good as another. What does the Bible say about truth? Well, truth is essential to some things. Let's let's get an example of that. Like John 8, 32, you know the passage, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Truth is essential to freedom. I can't be free religiously, spiritually, without truth. Peter said, or Paul said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that it's essential to be saved. Those who receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. We'll come to that passage in a moment. Peter made this point in 1 Peter 1 and verse 22. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. So truth is essential for me to be free, for me to be saved, for me to be purified. Truth is important. Well, what's the danger of error? Well, error, by contrast, destroys. In fact, it is contrasted to truth. Turn with me to 1 John 4 and in verse 6. John said, hereby we know the spirit of truth. Remember verse 1 before we get through with that? Try the spirits, whether they be of God, for many false prophets are gone out into the world. Then he tells us, how do you know one is a false teacher? How do I know? He said, we're of God. He who knows God hears us. That is, listens to the apostles. And who is not of God does not hear us. If what he teaches agrees with the apostles, it is true. If it disagrees with the apostles, it is false. And then he adds, hereby we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So I learned that truth is in contrast to error. And I learned from 2 Peter uh, 3 and in verse 17 that it leads astray. Those who would twist and pervert the scriptures... It leads them astray. Now, you know those passages well. So here's the point. The point is truth is essential and error leads us astray. If that be the case, then one faith could not be as good as another faith, could it? But let's go even further. I want you to notice with me that sincerity is not enough. Quite often in the religious world, we hear people saying, after all, one faith is just as good as another faith. God doesn't care what you believe as long as you are sincere. Sincerity is all that matters. And if we can show from both the Old and New Testament sincerity is not enough, then I'm learning one faith is not as good as another faith. 
So I want you to consider this with me. I want you to consider that it's possible that one could believe a lie. And let's illustrate this from 1 Kings chapter 13. Turn there with me if you will. You know the story of the young prophet. As you're turning there, I'm well aware of the fact that he's never called a young prophet. We call him that because he's in contrast to one who is called later an old prophet. And by contrast, that makes him the young prophet, doesn't it? But be that as it may, let's talk about this young prophet. The text tells us, and without delving into all the details of the whole story, I want you to notice as he had prophesied, the king had asked him to come home with him. Look at verse 7. Come home with me and refresh yourself and I will give you a reward, the king said. The prophet said he couldn't do that. Look at verse 8. The man of God said, if you were to give me half of your house, I would not go home with you nor to eat bread nor drink water in this place. Why? Look at verse 9. You might mark it. For so I was commanded by the word of the Lord, saying, you shall not eat bread nor drink water nor return by the same way that you came. Now let's get the picture here. In 1 Kings chapter 13, the young prophet said, God gave me three rules. What were they? Do not eat bread, do not drink water, and do not return by the same way you came. I know he understands it. So how do you know? He had understood it from the revelation of God so that he could turn around and explain it to the king. He well understood that. It wasn't fuzzy, like, I'm not sure how, what this is, but it seems like I wasn't supposed to. No, I do not eat bread nor drink water nor return by the same way you came. Now then, let's go further in the story. What else happened? Well, notice at verse 11, there was an old prophet there. I told you about him a moment ago. He asked his sons about this young prophet. Which way did he go? And they told him. And so he saddled up, takes off after him and finds him. And when he finds him, the old prophet tells him to come home with him. Come home with me, verse 15, and eat bread. And he said, I cannot return with you, verse 16. Nor can I eat bread nor drink water in this place. Now, verse 17, here we go again. For I have been told by the word of the Lord, you should not eat bread nor drink water nor return by the same way you came. I know he understands it because he'd explained it to the king and he turns around and explains it to the old prophet the exact same way. Three simple rules. What are they? Do not eat bread, do not drink water, and do not return by the same way you came. If you're still open there, look at verse 18. And he said, I too am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord saying, bring him back to your house that he may eat bread and drink water. Now, that was a lie. You know how I know? There's two reasons I know that. Number one, I know it's a lie because it is the exact opposite of the truth. Do you see that? Notice the exact opposite. Do not eat bread, eat bread. That's the exact opposite. Do not drink water, drink water. That's the exact opposite. Do not return by the same way you came, bring him back to your house. It is the exact opposite of the truth. And therefore, it's a lie. There's a second reason why I know it's a lie. Do you finish reading verse 18 with me? The text says, but he lied to him. It was a lie. And so here we have the young prophet looking at what he knew God had said. And another prophet comes along and said, no, 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 no. God spoke to me and said just the opposite to tell you. Now the question is, did it make any difference which one he believes? Suppose he believes the lie and he's sincere in that. Does that make any difference? Look at verse 19. Look at verse 19. Are you reading with me? So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and he drank water. He was deceived by that and he believed the lie. Did that make any difference? You know the rest of the story. Read a little further and God caused a lion to come forth and to slay him because he was disobedient to the word of the Lord. 
Sincerity was not enough. He believed the lie and he was wrong. If you don't turn to any other passage this morning, I hope you will turn with me to the passage that was read to you a moment ago in our reading in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 beginning at verse 10. If you were to ask me, give me one passage to take home with me that I can go help my friend and neighbor who believes one faith is just as good as another faith, what passage, this would be it. Open and, and understand this passage. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. This passage contrasts a lie to the truth. The truth here is not anything that's truth. I tell you my correct age or my correct name or other information. That's true. And if I told you my wrong age, that's lying. That's not the lie and the truth. This is the gospel truth in contrast to anything that is not in harmony with the gospel truth. And so let's begin reading at verse 10. With all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. For this reason God would send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie that they might all be condemned who do not believe the truth but have pleasure in unrighteousness. I want you to notice that under the idea of lying some would be deceived. They do not love the truth. They would be deluded, verse 11. They believe a lie, verse 11. They do not believe the truth. They have pleasure in unrighteousness. The consequence is that they perish and they are condemned. Under the idea of truth, they love the truth and they believe the truth. And the result is that they are saved. Now, we're not through with that text. We're going to come back and analyze all three of those verses. But I put all that on the screen to show you that not only does it make a difference what you believe. Listen to me carefully. But I'm seeing the difference that it makes. Does it make a difference what you believe? You bet it makes a difference. But I'm understanding the difference it makes. It makes a difference in perishing and being condemned or being saved. Now I want you to notice that every point that you see on the screen is found in our text. Follow your text and watch as we check them off. Verse 10. With all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive a love of the truth that they might be saved. That was verse 10. Now verse 11. Therefore God would send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Now we're ready for verse 12. That they might be condemned who do not believe the truth but had pleasure and unrighteousness. Every point's found in our text, isn't it? And what I'm seeing is that those who were deceived, they were deluded, they believed a lie. They were sincere. The result is they perish and are condemned. Those who believe and love the truth are saved. Not only am I seeing it makes a difference what one believes, I'm seeing the difference that it makes. And I'm seeing sincerity is not enough. If those principles be true, then one faith is not as good as another faith. Let's add to that the fact that Paul was sincere but wrong. Do you remember the times when he was persecuting the church? Making havoc of the church? Acts 8, Acts 9, Acts 7 even? We introduced to him for for holding the coats for those who stoned Stephen. Here's what he said about that period. Acts 23 and verse 1. I have lived in all good conscience before God unto this day. That included that period when he was persecuting the church. He said, I did what I thought was right. I was sincere in that. I thought that was the right thing to do. He was sincere, but he was wrong. The proverb writer said, there's a way that seems right unto man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. Sincerity is not enough. But finally, is one faith as good as another faith? Let's talk about the absurdity 
of one being as good as another. This is part of the style of the writing of the Apostle Paul. He writes in debater style, kind of, I call it, wherein he talks about if this be true, then here's the consequence. And if you're not willing to accept the consequence, you don't need to accept this principle. Romans is that way. 1 Corinthians 15 is that way. And let's just take this idea that one faith is just as good as another. What kind of consequence would go with it? How absurd is that idea? And let's see what those are. First of all, I want to suggest to you that if one faith is as good as another faith, that means God is divided. Remember when Paul addressed the division at Corinth, he said, is Christ divided? Some are saying, I'm of Paul. No, I'm of Apollos. No, I'm of Cephas and I'm of Christ. And yet they all claim to be Christians. He said, if that be true, then Christ is divided. And so if one faith is as good as another faith, then God is divided on the question of the deity of Christ. So you ask, where does God stand on his Jesus divine? Well, he says he is the son of God and he also says he's not. Because after all, one faith is as good as another, isn't it? And is the Bible inspired? Is it, is it uh, verbally inspired? Yes, it's verbally inspired and it has many errors and it is fallible. God's on both sides of that. Because after all, one faith is good as another. See, God's divided. Do you have to do anything to be saved? There are no conditions of salvation. God agrees with that. But he also agrees that there are conditions of salvation. He's on both sides. Because one faith is good as another, isn't it? God approves of them all. And on down the line we go. And you name the question, you name the issue. And God's on both sides because one faith is as good as another. How absurd that God is divided. Secondly, listen to this one carefully. If one faith is as good as another people... As, as, a, as a, one faith is as good as another, this principle would be true. If 50 people could have 50 different faiths, then one person could have 50 different faiths. If not, why not? If I came to you tonight, this morning, and I said, <clears throat> I want to tell you all, I am a Christian, but I'm also a Catholic. I'm also a Buddhist. And I'm also a Jew. I'm also a Presbyterian. And I'm also a Nazarene. And I'm also Amish. And I'm just beginning the list. What would you say? You'd say, you are confused. You're, you're messed up. You can't believe all that stuff. You can't believe all those different things. Why not? Why not? Because see, if we had 50 different people in a room that had all different kinds of quotation faiths, Someone pray, isn't this wonderful? We've got 50 different faiths represented here tonight. And isn't it wonderful? People of all different faiths come together. And isn't this wonderful? We have all these wonderful different faiths. And God approves of all of that, we're told. Well, if God approves of 50 different faiths, why can't I have all 50 different faiths? That's absurd. What if I, you ask me, what do you believe about Jesus being the Son of God? And I say, well, I believe He is the Son of God, and I also believe that He's not. What would you think? Well, what do you think about that? I believe baptism is essential, but I also believe it's not essential. I believe repentance is necessary, but I believe repentance is not necessary. I believe the Bible is inspired, and I also believe it's not inspired. Make any sense? If 50 people could have different faiths, then one person could have all 50 different faiths. It would mean direct opposite doctrines and practices are equal. 
The doctrine that says baptism is not essential and the doctrine that says it is essential are equal. That Jesus is the Son of God and He's not. They're equal. And last of all, may I suggest to you that means we can do anything we want, and I mean anything, in the name of religion. A number of years ago, there was a church that called itself a church of love. I don't know if it's still in existence. They called themselves the church of love, and when they would assemble as a congregation, they did not assemble to partake of the Lord's Supper and sing and pray, but they came together and fornicated one with another in the name of religion, the church of love. And you say, that's absurd. That isn't the question. If one faith is as good as another faith, what's wrong with that faith? And don't start citing a passage and saying, well, that's contrary. There are other doctrines in other churches and denominations, etc., that is contrary to Scriptures too, isn't it? So if one faith is as good as another faith, why can't we do anything we want in the name of religion and join the church of love? Why couldn't we do that? You say, no, I couldn't do that. Why not? Why not? That's the absurdity of one faith being as good as another faith. What have we seen this morning? In light of our previous study, we talked about the inspiration of the Scriptures. We build on that and raise the question, then is one faith as good as another faith? Can we just believe anything we want? Long as we kind of generally believe the Bible, or is one faith as good as another faith? And we've seen that there is one faith. One can be religious and at the same time be wrong. We see there's a difference with false teachers. Contrast between truth and error. Sincerity is not enough. And we see the absurdity of one faith being as good as another faith. There may be one this morning who's not a Christian, who's not a child of God. Would you this morning respond to the invitation by becoming one? Come believing that Jesus is the Christ, that He is the Son of God. Would you repent of your sins, acknowledge your faith, and be buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of sins? If you're subject in any way, would you come while together we stand and sing?